Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit. Hear these words from Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, until it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes, O Lord. When you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, When I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. And my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks to you, O God. Let's pray. Lord, your word says that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so we pray now that you would come and illumine our hearts in the light of your word. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Sorry, I'm still learning all these things. Um, It's good to be here with you, though. I've, I've, I've had... Many chances to sit with Jim and Eric to pray with them, but this is my first time to to be in worship with you all, and 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 that's a joyful thing to me. I've 
been wanting to get over here, but it's a little hard when uh, you're expected to be in your own church preaching on most Sunday mornings. So I'm grateful for this opportunity to be here with you all. This summer at FUMC, we've been working through some of the Psalms. We've been reading through the Psalms together, and, and each Sunday we've been preaching from a different one of the Psalms. And so today, uh, here in Psalm 73, you get a little chance to hear one of my favorite verses from the entire book of Psalms. And, and hopefully by the end of the, the sermon, you'll understand why that is, uh, even though this can be a little bit of a difficult psalm where it talks all about the, the arrogant and how God blesses them and uses different things and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, we'll get there. We'll get there. I want you to raise your hand if when you were young, you felt like you were invincible or unstoppable at some point in your life. I think a, a lot of us have been. For some people, that extends that phase extends all the way into their 20s or even beyond. For me, though, that ended when I was 16 years old. You see, when I was 16 years old, I started to experience some unexpected and unexplained chest pains right here on the left side, which is never a very good thing. Uh, these pains would randomly come and go and without any real consistent reason and for varying durations. And as you can imagine, as a 16-year-old, that was kind of terrifying, right? It led to all kinds of doctor's appointments and stress tests. And I had to wear one of those heart monitors that records everything your heart does for 48 hours. And, and for a long while, we had no answers as to why this was happening. And so there I was at 16 years old, relatively healthy and faced with my own mortality confronted by a weakness that I didn't understand and I couldn't explain, and I wrestled with that. And as I was wrestling with how I was going to respond to this reality in my life, God came after my heart. You see, that summer, I was working in the kitchen at Delanco Camp, which is a Christian camp out in uh, Burlington County. I was running the dishwasher all summer long, plates and silverware all summer long. Uh, but when I first got there, we were staying out in the dorms. We weren't quite ready to assign into our, our quarters for the whole summer. But after a couple weeks, still didn't have any answers. My heart was still hurting from time to time. I uh, didn't know what it meant long term. But after a couple weeks, we moved into the rooms where we were going to be staying for the rest of that summer. And as we were moving in, I was bringing in my stuff. I was taking some stuff into the bathroom to set it up in there. And as I walked into the bathroom, right there, the bathrooms are like as small as this little pulpit. Um, I turned, and right above the toilet on the wall, someone had hung up a little piece of paper with the words of Psalm 73, 26 printed right there which, as we read earlier, says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And that verse, and, and Psalm 73 as a whole, with its wrestling about why good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people, that verse became a promise that I clung to, not just that summer 
or until we got things figured out, which, by the way, ended up not being a terribly serious thing, but uh, we did get it figured out. But that's a verse that I've clung to now for my whole life since then. It's a verse that I go back to over and over again, because as much as I don't like to admit it, I can't be strong all the time or in every area. I don't think any of us particularly like to feel weak or even admitting that we may have a weakness. But at some point in life, maybe at multiple points, we all hit a wall and realize that we're limited in some way. Because the reality is we're not all gifted in every way. Some people face that reality when they don't make a certain sports team or you don't get into a certain school or you struggle in a certain class. We all have areas in which we feel weak. In his book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis said this about pain, which pain and, and weakness aren't quite the same, but, but they often act similarly in our lives. Lewis said this, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And again, while they're not necessarily the same thing, when we have pain or weakness in our lives, we can't ignore either one. And God can use both of them in similar ways to to catch our attention, to wake us up, and to drive us to him. And whenever that happens, whenever we come face to face with the weaknesses in our lives, we have a choice of how we're going to respond to that. I think a lot of times we try to hide it. We cover it up. Sometimes we compensate for them and hope that they're not noticed. Sometimes we accept them and learn to live within those limitations. And sometimes we embrace it and we make it a part of our identity. And I don't know this church super well, but I've been in many churches over the course of my life. And and church, we're really good at trying to cover up our weaknesses and trying to compensate for them and pretend that they're not there. But one thing I don't think we do often enough when we think about our weaknesses is surrendering those weaknesses to God. See, when I think about surrender, I usually think about my strengths and, and the good things I have to offer to God. And, and I don't think that's wrong God has given each of us strengths and gifts and graces, attributes that he's given us to help build up the the body of Christ, different gifts for different people. So I don't think it's wrong to offer those strengths to God, but I think it's only half the story. He wants us to offer all of ourselves. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and, and the early part of chapter 12, Paul gives us a laundry list of things that he could very easily boast about. The work he's done, the suffering he's endured, the conditions he's experienced for the sake of the gospel. 
the burden that he's carried for churches that he's planted and, and the churches he's heard that others have planted, the spiritual experiences that he has. I think one time he even says, I knew a guy who was caught up to the third heaven. A lot of people think he was speaking about himself, but he didn't want to say it. All these things that, that could have been listed as strengths, all these reasons that he had to boast. But Paul says that despite all of that, God chose to give him a thorn in his flesh, something to show Paul his weakness and keep him from becoming proud and conceited. Here from 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Paul doesn't tell us what this affliction he was dealing with was. He doesn't tell us what this thorn in the flesh was that he just couldn't get God to take away from him. And so we don't know exactly what it was, but the reality is it doesn't really matter. What matters is it was there. And rather than trying to hide it or compensate for it or embrace it as a label, Paul learned to see his weakness as an opportunity for the power of God to be seen by others. You see, it's one thing to surrender our strength for God to use. But sometimes that can still look like God using us. But when we surrender our weaknesses to God for him to use, then it becomes quite ob obvious that it's God that's working. It's his strength. It's not us. In Japan, there's an art form called kintsugi. Anyone ever heard of that before? A couple of you. I see some nods out there. Uh, but in kintsugi, the artist begins their work with something that's broken. Whether it's a vase or a lamp or a plate or a bowl, something, you know, pottery, ceramic, that's been broken. And what the artist does is they collect all these broken pottery pieces and they take their lacquer or their glue and they, they mix in some gold powder or silver powder. And then they use that adhesive to put the broken pieces back together. And what you end up with in the reformed pieces is that everywhere that previously there was a crack, a broken place, there's now veins of gold or silver flowing through this piece of pottery. And it's beautiful. And there in Japan, they consider it to be more beautiful than it was even before because of the brokenness or the weakness. A few years ago, my wife, Meg, who sadly you all haven't had the chance to meet yet. Um, if you did, you'd understand why she's the better half, but uh, you just get me today. Um, but a few years ago, she was diagnosed with a disease called limb girdle muscular dystrophy, type 2i. You don't have to remember that, but that's what it is. It's, it's something she's had all her life. We just didn't know what it was or what to call it. 
But with this form of muscular dystrophy, there's a progressive weakening of certain groups of the muscles in her body. So specifically those closest to her core. So it's the hips, the thighs, the shoulders, that kind of thing. And so over the years, she's gone from being able to do things that she loved, like skiing and snowboarding and water. And she grew up in New Hampshire, so that was like gym class on Friday in the in the winter time was they dropped them off at the ski mountain, you know, those kind of things. To now she struggles to make it up a flight of stairs or to stand up from a chair or get up from a pew in the church, those kinds of things. It's weakness. That's the basic definition of muscular dystrophy. It's muscle weakness. And it's been amazing to me to watch Meg over the past few years in particular, as she's learned to cope with this, to struggle with it, and ultimately to surrender it to God. And it was amazing to me, you know, Jim mentioned that I've only been at FUMC for the last year. Uh, we came from a church down in Mullica Hill, and as we were getting ready to leave that church at the end of June last year, we were talking with people who you know, we were getting ready to go, and they were talking with us. They would share with us all the different things that they appreciated about us and knew about us. And, and the thing people kept talking to me about wasn't my ministry. It wasn't things I had done. It was my wife, Meg. Now, granted, they were appreciative of, of the things that I had done in the ministry there. Like, don't get me wrong. But, but so many people would come up to me. And talk to me and share something about the ministry, blah, blah, blah. And, and then they'd turn their conversation to Meg. And the amazing thing was that they'd never said, we really hope God heals your wife. And they didn't say, I really hope they find a cure for that disease that she struggles with. The thing that kept coming up in people's conversation with me was, your wife, does she ever stop smiling? Does that smile ever leave her face? And if you ask my four boys, they would quickly answer yes. But you, you get the point. People saw in Meg the joy of the Lord, a, a joy that doesn't come from the circumstances in which we find ourselves. Because if you looked at just the circumstances, there's not a lot to smile about day in and day out when you struggle with a disease like that. But as she's wrestled through it, and as she's offered it back to God, he's worked in her heart, and he's filled her with a joy that can't help but be noticed. And it's not just happiness. It's not just a response to the things that are going on in life. It's a joy that comes from knowing God and knowing what it means for God to meet us at the very point of our deepest weaknesses. Brothers and sisters, I think this is the work that God wants to do in our hearts and our lives, this, this process of making us holy, this, this process where he, he longs to come and take what is broken and marred in our lives and in our hearts, and he wants to reform them. And he wants to recreate them so that his power can shine through it and make it even more beautiful than it was before. 
And when we turn away from our sin and our self and submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus, he is faithful and he's just and he forgives those things. He cancels the debt against us. But he doesn't always erase the brokenness. Sometimes it's like the kintsugi. And he wants to heal the cracks and the weaknesses and use it as an opportunity to make it even more beautiful than it was on its own. We see God do that all through scripture. Paul had this thorn in his side that we mentioned, but, but Moses had a problem with stuttering and Rahab was a prostitute and David made some really bad choices. I preached that sermon last week. You guys can go back and read uh, Psalm 51 if you don't know that one. But Elijah, the prophet, struggled with depression and loneliness. Jonah disobeyed and ran away from God. But each of them learned to turn to God, and God worked through them all. You see, in our walk with God, we need to come to the point where instead of trying to hide our brokenness or compensate for our weakness or embracing the labels of our limitations, we need to come to the point where we invite God to heal those places, to work through our weakness so that his power can be seen by those around us. You see, when I was 16, and my heart started hurting, and I came face to face with those limitations and the weakness. I had a choice to make about how I was going to respond to it. And when God came after my heart through that little piece of paper stuck up on the wall behind the toilet, I knew that God was asking me to trust him with my heart. Literally, physically, and spiritually. To trust him with my weakness and to allow him to show his power through me and my weakness. But it took time. It took years, at least, for me to be able to move from accepting that God was going to be with me in the midst of those things to understanding that it wasn't in spite of my weakness that God was going to work, but that it was precisely in those places of weakness and brokenness that God's power and strength are able to shine through. Friends, I don't know the strengths and weaknesses that you've been given by God. I don't know what gifts you have and, and where you struggle I don't know the pain that God has used as a megaphone to try to catch your attention. But I do know that God wants it all. He wants your strengths. He wants your weaknesses. He wants your whole heart. And he wants to take you and reform you so that you can show his power through the broken places in, his, in your life. And he can make you even more beautiful than you were before he found you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, 
the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.